You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. One of my favorites that we tend to watch every year as a family is the Charlie Brown Christmas. Uh, that's, that's a must. Um, and it so happens that the theme in that movie is asking the very question that all these recent Christmas specials fail and fumble to answer, uh, what's the meaning of Christmas? Right? And in the movie, we see Charlie Brown. Most of you have probably seen it, right? I'll just give a quick summary. We see Charlie Brown, who, as usual, is feeling depressed. He's feeling pretty low, feeling pretty down. Mostly he's discouraged by the commercialization of Christmas, uh, as we all should be, and uh, also by the fact that nothing ever goes right for him because he's Charlie Brown. Uh, and, and kind of adding to the problem is that he kind of feels guilty because he knows this is a time of the year where he's supposed to be happy, right? He's supposed to be joyful. And so he's feeling pretty bad about that, that he's not feeling this happiness and this, and this joy. And so what he does is he attempts to find, throughout the movie, he attempts to find meaning and happiness and joy uh, through different places and different people and different experiences. So he checks his mailbox, first of all, to see if he's got a Christmas card, no Christmas card, no joy, right? And then he goes to a counselor who's actually just his friend line as his sister, Lucy, right? And, um, she, that doesn't work out for him, obviously. Uh, and then she gives him terrible, discouraging advice. And then he attempts to find sentiment and, and happiness and playing with his friends out in the snow, but you know, it's not doing it for him. And then at the suggestion of his sister, he even attempts to direct the kids' Christmas play. And uh, he finds you know, no happiness or, or meaning in that either, and then they're not even listening to him, so he's pretty discouraged about that. So in all of these places, he finds no lasting happiness. He finds no true joy. Nothing can, can bring him out of this, this sorrow, this funk, this, this self-pity that he's in, right? Nothing satisfies his longing to find the true meaning and joy of Christmas. And I think it's easy for a lot of us, most of us, to relate to Charlie Brown here, right? Uh, because as we've been repeatedly told by Harry Connick Jr., Christmas time is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, right? The hap-hap-happiest season of all, right? Um, we hear that every day, like 50 times a day. And, uh, but it's actually the time of the year that's full of stress and, and anxiety and rushing around and, and uh, sore backs and feet from standing in lines at stores. And it's a time of year that's filled with debt and traveling on icy roads and family tensions and nagging children and, and wanting to uh, throw them. Uh, I didn't say that. Um, but it's also a time or maybe even it's a time of sorrow. And, and regret even, right? Or, or maybe it conjures up bad memories or feelings of loss or loneliness. Uh, it, can be, it can be a sad season for a lot of people. And so no matter how many presents we get or give, or no matter how many turkeys we eat, no matter how many chestnuts we roast by the fire, uh, or how many Christmas songs we sing, or how many bright lights and fun decorations that we hang up, or fuzzy feelings of happiness we try to conjure up with surface-level sentiment and cheesy TV specials, none of these things last, right? None of, none of these things satisfy. And a lot of these things are just all too familiar to us or too commercialized, right? And so they just don't do anything for us anymore. And like Charlie Brown... We can't help but feel guilty, too, that, that, that we're so down or stressed or, or annoyed in this season when it's supposed to be filled with joy. It's supposed to be a merry Christmas. And again, this is Charlie Brown's dilemma, right? What's so merry about Christmas? 
And then the last straw for Charlie Brown in the movie comes when he decides to pick a little simple tree that, you know, reminds him of himself, I guess, uh, lonely and sad. And, and he's like, this tree needs some love, right? So he picks this simple tree for the Christmas play. And uh, instead of this shiny, silver, silver, flashy, commercialized one that all the other kids wanted for the play. And, and so he brings this tree back and, and they all get mad at him, right? And they're all really angry that he picked this little tree. And they're like, Charlie Brown, you're the worst, right? And, uh, and, and Charlie Brown loses it. And uh, we're going to play in a video what happens next. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. I think if Linus was holding a mic there, it would have been a perfect opportunity to just drop it, right? That was a, a mic drop moment. Um, he did drop his blankie, though. Did you see that? Because he's talking about, you know, what Christmas is all about. He's dro- he drops his, his comfort, his earthly comfort, because this is what Christmas is all about. His message is so simple. Yet it's so profound and hard-hitting, right? The meaning of Christmas, the, the joy that we're supposed to have isn't found in things, isn't found in experiences, isn't found in family dinners. It's found in a person. The good news is great joy because Jesus was born. The good news is great joy because the incarnation of Christ, which means the coming of Christ into the world, into the sinful world, he turns our sorrows and our fear into joy. Luke 2, 10 to 11. I'm going to read it again. The angel said, don't be afraid. See, it starts with fear. And then they say, don't be afraid. Look, I bring good news to you, wonderful, joyous news for all people. Your Savior is born today in David's city. He is Christ the Lord. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm always thankful for this Advent season because it's a needed reminder for me and for us, right, where our joy is truly found. Again, a simple but profound reminder, our joy is found in Jesus. And what I want to highlight simply for us this morning uh, throughout my message is, first of all, three, three things. First of all, how and why Jesus being born is our joy. We're going to talk about what, how that is our joy. And then secondly, I want to talk about how it changes us and calls us to respond to it as Christians. And finally, what it means for us when the angel of the Lord declares to the, to the shepherds this, that this good news of great joy is for all people. So what that means for us. So first of all, then, how is Jesus our source of joy? 
And this is an important question to ask, because even if we think we know it, it's always important for us as Christians to daily, hourly, you know, remind ourselves and meditate on, on the joy of Christ and who he is. But it's also important to ask, because like Charlie Brown did, we often tend to get distracted. We often tend to mistakenly or even desperately at times look to other things, especially in this Christmas season, we look to other things to fill this desire that we have for joy, right? Like being with family or figgy pudding. Does anyone know what that is? I don't even know what that is. Um, so I've never looked to that for my joy. Um, I'm sure it's, it's great. Uh, opening presents, you know, all these things that, that, that we look to to bring us joy, right? And while these things can bring us feelings of happiness and delight, which is good, but as we all know, happiness doesn't last, Right? Happiness can just as quickly turn to sadness in a blink of an eye. I was watching uh, the Canucks game last night. They were winning 2-1. to one. I was pretty happy about that. And then the Flames scored three goals. <laughs> blink of an eye, sadness, tears. wasn't that bad. But that's what I'm saying, right? Happiness doesn't last. And happiness is certainly not what the angel of the Lord is proclaiming to the shepherds here. It's, it's much deeper than that. As uh, Joel Beek and William Bocast write, Jesus came to earth to bring joy and explain where it may be found. People look for joy in food, drink, friends, family, work, and recreation. As believers, we find some satisfaction in these things. But because the things of this world are fleeting, we may not seek ultimate joy in them. And neither should they move us to great despair. So when the Bible talks about joy... It's not talking about fleeting emotions or experiences that come and go. Rather, God actually desires to solidify and seal his joy in us. Biblical joy is eternal. And if it's eternal, it stands to reason then that this joy can't be found in earthly and temporary things. C.S. Lewis writes, If we find ourselves with, with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. So the joy of the, the incarnation of Jesus coming into this sinful world as a, as a human, as a little baby, fully man, he's still fully God. The joy of that is that he brings this otherworldly satisfaction to us. When we couldn't obtain it ourselves, he brings it to us. Jesus brings the kingdom of God and its subsequent joy to us. Dr. James Boyce adds to this idea when he writes, happiness is related to circumstances. When circumstances are right, it's happiness. There's happiness. But when the source of happiness departs, happiness goes with it. It is not this way with joy. Joy is of God. It is based upon what God has done, and it is given to the Christian by God, and is sustained by God. Nothing destroys joy except sin. So what this means is that to have this lasting joy that Jesus brings to us, that, that, that only comes from God through Jesus, right? then first of all, this problem of sin needs to be dealt with, right? Because that's the only thing that, that destroys our joy, and this is, in fact, the, the prayer of the psalmist David in Psalm 51, 8 to 12, who calls to God in this psalm, and, and he says, 
Let me hear joy and celebration again. Right? He's longing for this joy. Let me hear joy and celebration again. Let the bones you crushed rejoice once more. Hide your face from my sins. Wipe away all my guilty deeds. Create a clean heart for me, God. Put a new faithful spirit deep inside me. Please don't throw me out of your presence. Please don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Return the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me with a willing spirit. King David is praying that his joy would be renewed, right? Return the joy of your salvation to me. But you'll notice that he's praying with a, with a clear theological and humble understanding of what's keeping him from that joy. And also in turn, what will restore that joy. He understands why he's joyless and he understands what it takes to get that joy back. So first of all, the problem, why he's joyless, he writes, is his sin. Right? That's what's keeping him from joy. His guilty deeds have weighed him down and crushed his spirit. His enmity and rebellion against God have disabled and disqualified him from being in the presence of the holy God. So the only way then for his joy to be restored, he writes, is threefold. He writes three things here. One, the first one, only by grace and by the faithfulness of God alone can he be restored into joy. The second thing is he needs to be purified from sin and made new, right? Creating me a clean heart. And number three, that joy will be restored to him through dwelling in the presence of God and being filled with his spirit. So that's what he's asking for so that his joy will be restored. And the good news that the angels declared to the shepherds on that first Christmas night, that good news was filled with great joy because Jesus was the direct answer to this prayer. And not just for David, but for all mankind. Jesus was the answer to this prayer. Jesus is the solution to our joylessness, right? Because it's Jesus. Remember those three things that needed to happen? Jesus, by God's grace alone, came into this world to save us when we couldn't save ourselves. Ephesians 2 verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. First problem dealt with, right? Second, because it's Jesus' death and resurrection that purifies us of our sin and makes us new. 2 Corinthians 5 17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come, right? He's created in us a clean heart, forgotten our sins. Second problem dealt with. And number three, and because it's Jesus that draws us into the presence of God and fills us with his spirit. Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make, make intercession for them. So through Jesus, we can come to God. Ephesians 1.13 when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in him, Jesus, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Third problem dealt with. Right? And speaking of the Holy Spirit, what's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit? Joy. Right? Without the Holy Spirit, we can't have that joy. So what David is writing here in this psalm is that this gift of joy from God 
isn't just some random joy that we get or some excitement that we get. This, this gift of joy from God is actually a complete life change. It's a complete transformation and renewal of the heart, of our spirit. This joy is a result of being born again. Romans fourteen seventeen says, The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness. Right, The righteousness of Christ within us and peace, the peace of, peace of Christ that, that he won for us, which we're going to talk about next week, and joy in the Holy Ghost. On this topic, Greg Forster, in his book, Joy for the World, adds to this idea when he writes, and just a quick side note, you know this quote's going to be good because of his name, Greg. Um, Oh, yeah. Good one. I thought it was a good one. Uh, anyways, he, he writes, he adds to this idea when he writes, I call this holistic Christian life the joy of God. This holistic Christian life, the joy of God. Right? When I say joy, he goes on, he says, when I say joy, I don't mean an, an emotion. I mean the flourishing of the whole person in mind, in heart, and in life. This flourishing is a transformation that extends to all of life as an integrated totality. So the good news of great joy demands and enables a total transformation in our hearts, in our souls, in who we are. Therefore, to know Jesus means the joy of our salvation is now written into our DNA and is both sustained and cultivated in the presence of, of God with his Holy Spirit within us. We carry this joy with us, right? It's who we are now. It, this, this joy is also our strength to persevere and to press on. It's our call to worship, right? Again, it's who we are. And if you don't know this kind of joy... If you're, not, if you're not living in this kind of joy, then I want to encourage you to use Psalm 51 as, as a prayer this morning. Later after, when we're into worship or something, open up to Psalm 51 and pray this as your prayer this morning. To humbly come before God, pray this psalm, and then humbly acknowledge and believe with faith that Jesus is the answer to this prayer. That Jesus is the answer to your prayer to the forgiveness of your sins, to the restoration of your joy. And as you pray that, you will be saved. You will know the joy of your salvation. Because this is the truth, that God wants us to know this joy. Not fleeting happiness, not a, but an eternal, unending joy in Him. God wants us to know it. And that leads us to the second thing I want to talk about this morning, which is how this joy changes us and calls us to respond. <laughs> Before I do that, though, I wanted to say a quick thank you to, to Cheryl because I gave her a lot of verses and quotes this morning, and she put them all up on there. What the, what's that? 20 of them. So, props to Cheryl. Thank you. And she's doing it with joy. You see that? (laughs) Um, You weren't supposed to laugh at that. That wasn't a joke. Um, 
Anyways, how joy calls us to, to changes us and calls us to respond. Uh, so we see the angels and the shepherds in this passage. They give us the biggest clue here, right? And it's kind of obvious, I guess, how we're supposed to respond to joy. Um, we're supposed to respond with the good news of great joy. With joy, yeah. Uh, with rejoicing. With giving glory to God for his goodness and his mercy. With, with thankfulness, with gratitude. Um, this guy, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Will, Will Helmus Abakel, Abakel, I don't know. Doesn't matter. He writes, his name's up there. Uh, he writes, the reason one does not rejoice in the incarnation is for lack of holy meditation upon the subject. Its miraculous nature, its promises, the person, the fruits, and the great salvation brought about by his suffering and death. What reason for rejoicing would he who does not attentively reflect upon this have? Right? If, if we're not thinking and, and meditating upon you know, who Christ is and what, what he's done, you know, there's, there's really no reason to be rejoicing at Christmas time. Right? Charlie Brown figured that out. But if we have reflected and have been changed by, by the incarnation and salvation of Christ. And it's on our minds and we're thinking about it and pondering it in awe and wonder. Then we don't have to be, really be called or told to worship. Right? Because it'll be who we are. It'll be something that we long to do. Right? To take every opportunity to join in and sing glory to God in the highest with the body of Christ and, and along with the heavenly host singing this. Right? Because what we, what we find joy in is what we worship. John Piper writes, we don't worship joy. Right? We say that joy in God is the heart of worship. What you find most joy in is what you worship. That's what worship is. Valuing, treasuring, cherishing, enjoying, and being satisfied in God. And joy is the heart of that, right? Joy is satisfaction in God. And if our joy is placed in Him, it should, it should lead us to worship Him. Not only in song. We love worshiping in him, him in song, but to worship him in our lives, in our action as well, right? In, 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 in our satisfaction, we'll be able to worship God through joyful generosity and selfless service. And as, and as Bryce said earlier, that'll actually add to our joy. We serve and we're generous out of a joyful heart, but that actually adds to our joy. It's a joyful thing to do. Joyful gratitude always leads to joyful sacrifice and servitude. Or to sum it up simply, joy in God always leads to living for God. And as we've already mentioned, this means in the hard times as well, even in suffering and trials. In fact, in their letters to the early churches, Paul, Peter, James, and John, they all remind us that even in trials and persecutions, even in those things, we should count those as joy. Because these things force us to draw closer to God, or, or they produce godly character, or they, or they pale in comparison to the glory that, that awaits us. In other words, this joy that we have in God flourishes even in the midst of suffering. Suffering can erase this joy that we have in God. And again, it can actually cause us to, to go deeper into the joy of God. On that note, one of the, the incredible things about the backdrop and the, the setting of the birth of Jesus, the whole Christmas story, is that the circumstances and events at play uh, before it and after it and during it, 
were not joyous. Some of the people in the story are filled with hope and joy. But without knowing what they knew, their attitude wouldn't make sense to us because of all that's happening and going on around them. The backdrop of the Christmas story is scandal, poverty, corrupt leaders, murder, greed. But yet somehow interjected into all this hardship, into all this brokenness, great joy. In other words, this is a joy that not only exists, but abounds even in hard times, even through persecutions and trials, even through moments of despair, even even and especially in the most sinful and hard hearted of hearts. That's the good news of the Christmas story, that joy has come to us in the midst of our sin and sorrow. And, and you might think, well, Pastor, you don't understand what I'm going through. I can't experience this joy. You don't understand what I did. I can't experience this joy. I'm not worthy of this joy. But I know it's, and it might be hard to believe with me being a pastor and all, but I know and I experience firsthand all the hardships and temptations and things of this world that try to quench and destroy our joy just as much as the next guy. But yet in the midst of all these things that life throws our way, when the enemy tries to crush us, right, in all this darkness, amongst all the cares of this world, there's that everlasting, unwavering light that steadfast treasure that's bottled up and bubbling over in our hearts that says, I am your joy. That says, I carried your sorrow at the cross so that your sorrow can be turned into joy unending. Jesus spoke this glorious truth to his disciples before he went to the cross. Listen to this, John 16, 20 to 24. Jesus says, very truly I tell you, You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. No one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. So, of course, Jesus is saying to them, you know, he's going to go to the cross. That he has to go to the cross in order to defeat sin and death. And of course, they'll be filled with a deep sorrow and overwhelmed with grief when he does, especially because the world's going to be rejoicing, which just adds to the pain and anguish. But he says their momentary grief, this momentary grief, will then turn to everlasting, will then turn to everlasting joy. And not only joy, but a joy that cannot be shaken, a joy that no one can take away. A joy that's made complete. 
A joy so strong that it moves us and calls us in Jesus' name to glorify God in and through everything. And this is exactly what happened. After Jesus defeated death and his resurrection and then ascends into heaven, this is how the disciples respond immediately after. Luke 24, 52 to 53 says, And they worshipped him, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. It happened exactly as Jesus said it would. And that's how we're changed as well as, as Christians and called to respond to this good news of great joy with continuous worship. To worship. What's the, the line? Repeat the sounding joy that we sang this morning. Repeat the sounding joy. That's who we are as the church. Repeating the sounding joy. Repeating the sounding joy. And that leads us to the third and final thing that, that I want to talk about this morning. That this joy is for all people. So this joy, like we mentioned uh, last week, Blair mentioned last week when he's talking about love, and, and I mentioned the week before when we were talking about hope, right? In the same way, joy isn't just for us, right? It's meant to be displayed throughout the world. As the angel of the Lord declared, this is good news of great joy for all people. As the song that we sang this morning, which is based on Psalm 98, says, joy to the world. Not just joy for me, but joy to the world the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Right? The, de- the desire of God is that all men will be saved. And of course, we see the, the shepherds immediately upon hearing this good news of great joy. They go to Jesus, they find him, and they worship him. That should be our response, like, like I said before, to that good news of great joy. But the shepherds don't stop there. Verse 20, the shepherds returned home, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. The shepherds didn't stop worshiping after they left the manger. No, this newfound joy, this desire to rejoice and glorify God for sending Jesus to save us, remained with them as they went home, as they went back to their work, as they went back to their friends, as they went back to their family. This joy remained with them, and they continued to worship God for all they had heard and seen. This is a great example for us. It shows us that as Christians, we need and should desire to carry that joy of the Lord with us at all times in every area of our lives to be people of joy in this world. And speaking of which, it's, it's no secret that the influence of Christianity in our culture is, is uh, dwindling pretty fast, right? And it's not because we aren't signing petitions It's not because we aren't making our voices known in our education systems and in politics and morality wars and in blog posts and all these things. No, we're pretty loud. We're pretty loud. The problem is that we're often loud in the wrong ways. Greg Forster again writes, Christianity is losing its influence in contemporary society because people outside the church just don't encounter the joy of God as much as they used to. Christians want to pull a lever and see the world change. 
Political involvement is not the issue. The joy of God is the issue. Remember, the joy of God is the state of flourishing in mind, heart, and life that Christians experience by the Holy Spirit. We've been so anxious to influence society in the past century that we've ended up going after a lot of shortcuts. For some, it's politics. For some, it's education. For some, it's evangelism. We've been pulling a lot of levers. The common thread is that we're pulling these levers so hard, we leave no space for people to encounter the joy of God. One of the main reasons we've, we're, we're, we've lost and we're losing our influence in society is because we're not putting our joy on display for the world to see, for the world to encounter. I'm speaking generically here of all Christians in our culture. But it's our joy that we've been given in Christ, our joy displayed to the world. When we joyfully love and give and serve the poor and marginalized, our joy displayed in the way we work as unto the Lord, our joy displayed in the way we rejoice and remain steadfast through difficult seasons, our joy displayed in friendships and relationships, our joy displayed when we gather as the church to worship God. It's our joy in the Lord in every area of our lives that makes people notice that something's different about us. Which means as well on the flip side that if people aren't encountering God's joy through us, chances are they're not going to be very interested in listening to what we have to say, much less believing in what we believe. For example, if someone at your place of work is is grumpy and annoying all the time and forcing his religious opinions on everyone, and then one day he invites you to come to church with him to believe in his joyful God, would you even be remotely tempted at all to go with him? And believe in that God? No. The world needs to see joy. The the world needs to see the life of the Holy Spirit living in us. Before it will listen to our message of good news of great joy. And I don't know each of your situations. I don't know, you know, I know where some of you work. I know some, some of your family situations and stuff like that. I don't know everything. So you have to ask yourselves individually, how can I bring the joy of the Lord to where I work, to where I live, to the people I'm in a relationship with? You have to ask yourself that. Am I doing that? In our passage from this morning, which, which Linus so wonderfully read, My wife did an okay job earlier during the Advent lighting. Just kidding. She did an amazing job. Um, In the passage, though, the shepherds believe the angels. They believe their message because they were shining with the light and glory of God, so much so that they were afraid. And my point is that there was no questioning them. There There was no questioning their reliability of the message. Obviously, they were of God, and the message was true, because they were shining with the light of God. But we're not angels. So if we're to reach the world with this good news of great joy, the world needs to see the reality of it living in and through us, right? They, they need to see and encounter that joy 
in the way that we live our lives and the way that we treat others. Because it's that joy that breaks down the strongholds of evil. It's that joy that, that will cause people to ask what we're all about. And that's what we can tell them. We're all about Jesus. Jesus is our joy. Jesus makes the, our joy complete. Jesus is the reason I rejoice and remain steadfast and persevere and love and give. It's all about Jesus. As 1 Peter 1, 8-9 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's what it looks like to know the unwavering and wonderful joy of the Lord. So let us joyfully respond now together through receiving communion. I'm going to pray first. See that joyful laughter downstairs of the kids? Love it. That was perfect timing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. You know, speaking of which, for the joy that you've given our children, Lord, and, and I pray that we can learn from them. Uh, and in, in, the, in, in this idea that we're to carry this joy with us in everything we do, For your name, Lord, for your glory. And we thank you so much that that as we remember in this Advent season that, that Jesus, you humbled yourself and came into creation. You brought this joy that was unattainable to us because of our sin, and you brought it into you brought it to us, Lord. You lived a perfect life on our behalf. And then set that aside and took our sin upon yourself at the cross. You took our punishment so that we could be covered in righteousness, Lord. So that we could be completely changed and made new. Welcomed into the kingdom of God where we could know this joy unending. Filled with your spirit. Sealed with this joy unending. Lord, so we come before you this morning and we, we rejoice with thankful hearts, with, with, with gratitude. With a, with, there, there are no words to describe how amazing you are, Lord, and what you did for us. And I pray that you would remind us and convict us through your Holy Spirit to, to continually bring this joy with us wherever we're at that we would carry this joy with us, that we would bring it to our places of work, to our family as we gather this Christmas, to to our family that, that don't know you, Lord, that they would see this joy in us. And they would long for it. That this joy that we bring with us would 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 melt the hearts of those who don't know it, Lord. So that they can come to know you that you would give us an opportunity to to express where this joy comes from, Lord, that it comes from you. That you are the joy of our salvation, Lord. We praise your name. Amen.